Once again, to the Raw Attitude Podcast, where we chronologically take you through episodes of Monday Night Raw from the Attitude Era. I am, of course, your host, retired professional wrestler Henry Huge Pecks, the suplex throwing human duplex. As always, thank you for listening, and we welcome your feedback at rawattitudepodcast at gmail.com or reaching out to us via Twitter at rawattitudepod. And of course, don't forget you can also subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher as well, as quite a few people in the Netherlands did last week. Shout out to the Netherlands. Netherlands, your tulips, windmills, and marijuana tolerance policies are an inspiration to the rest of the world. Now, before we start, I want to point a few things out. In 2016, Terry Funk just made an appearance on Raw and gave a chainsaw to Dean Ambrose. Also, that same episode of Raw featured the announcement that Stan Hansen would be inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame one short week after I played audio of Hansen on this very podcast talking about teeny wieners. Coincidence? I think not. Basically, what I'm saying is that the WWE higher-ups are listening to the Raw Attitude Podcast and becoming inspired in the present day. You're welcome. I also want to be sure to give thanks to Andy for coming on the show last week and doing a great job in helping me recap Monday Night Raw. Once again, please be sure to check out his side projects, the Shadowvane Podcast, and the brand new Tuning Japanese Podcast as well, with Tuning spelled T-O-O-N-I-N-G as in cartoon. If you like horror-themed podcasts and or podcasts about Japanese anime, then those are definitely the shows for you. Also, several people mentioned to me they enjoyed having an extra voice on the show to provide additional perspective, and I completely agree, so I will certainly try to bring on more guest co-hosts in the future. One other quick follow-up from last week. Andy and I discussed the DX State of the Union address and how we thought it was pretty popular among wrestling fans. Apparently, That was an understatement. According to cagematch.net, which is basically the most comprehensive wrestling database on the internet, DX's State of the Union address is the website's sixth highest graded promo of all time among their users. For some perspective, here are the only promos which are graded higher. Number five is when Shawn Michaels briefly turned heel in 2005 and mocked the Montreal crowd. Number four is Daniel Bryan's recent retirement speech. Number three is CM Punk's promo from the Summer of Punk where he made Vince McMahon apologize to him. Number two is the Austin 316 promo from King of the Ring 96. And number one is Shawn Michaels' retirement speech. Clearly, some pretty lofty company there. But anyway, now it's time to get into this week's episode. It's Monday, February 9th, 1998, and we are pre-taped six days in advance from Evansville, Indiana. Clearly, they're really hitting all the major American cities on the road to WrestleMania. We open with a pre-recorded video of Sonny dressed as Marilyn Monroe and breathily singing Happy Birthday, much the same way that Marilyn did to JFK back in the day. We even get the reenactment of that famous scene from the movie The Seven-Year Itch, where Marilyn stands over a subway grate and her dress flies up, which is still being parodied today in a goddamn Snickers commercial with Willem Dafoe. As it turns out, Sonny is actually singing to classy Freddie Blassie, who turned 80 years old one day prior. Certainly a nice gesture, but I'm wondering whose idea this was. Did Vince go to Blassie and say, Hey, Freddie, what do you want for your birthday? And Blassie apparently said, Vince, make the blonde sing happy birthday to me while her skirt flies up. You got it, pal. Creepy. And also my Vince and Blassie apparently sound exactly the same. 
After that, we get a recap of last week's face-to-face showdown between Steve Austin and Shawn Michaels and the subsequent beating of Austin, which occurred later in the broadcast. Strangely, they completely leave out the part where Mick Foley and Terry Funk came to Austin's rescue, but maybe that's because it was incredibly dumb to bring them back so quickly after they were nearly murdered in a dumpster one hour before. Cue up the opening credits, the pyro, and the obligatory scanning of the crowd. Again, not very many noteworthy signs, except maybe one which said, Vader, two words, fat ass. Clearly that person needed to take the effort to create a sign and bring it to Ra in order to let the world know how he felt. Although I must say, I do remember someone else making a similar point much more elegantly. And after it's all said and done, you're going to be taking splinters out of your fat asses all night long because you got some fat asses. The only chance you have, you have no chance, but you had a chance, is that you can run lickety-split. Because you can't run because you got the fat asses. After his son done, we're going to have a tailgate party for all my freaks out there. We kick off the festivities with Stone Cold Steve Austin walking to the ring and holding a white bag in his hand. He says Shawn Michaels shoved the WWF title in his face last week while he was tied in the ropes, and he's going to exact some revenge on HBK this Sunday at No Way Out of Texas. But he doesn't want to wait until Sunday. He wants HBK to come to the ring right now. Instead, however, we see Sean Hunter and China on the Titantron sitting backstage in the locker room. Sean says Austin calls himself, quote, the baddest SOB in the World Wrestling Federation, but last week, HBK punked him out like a dog. Not quite sure that I understand that analogy, because how often do you actually punk out a dog, really? But whatever. HBK says he will come to the ring and slap the taste out of Austin's mouth if Stone Cold can give him a good reason as to why he should come out there. Austin says he has a good reason. He has HBK's WWF title belt. Sean reaches into his bag, and sure enough, Austin has replaced his WWF title with a foam replica. How HBK didn't realize the enormous weight difference between the real thing and a foam title belt, I do not know. Sure enough, Austin then pulls the real belt out of his white bag and holds it up, which I do believe may count as the very first instance of Austin literally holding the WWF title. HBK starts flipping out, so Austin tells him he'll be around all night if Michaels wants to come get the belt back. Austin then takes the title and heads backstage, which seems like a risky move because DX could theoretically just jump him as soon as he comes through the curtain, but why not? After a commercial break, Sonny heads to the ring, no longer dressed as Marilyn Monroe. She gets a good-sized pop from the crowd, but of course, she's still stuck in a useless guest ring announcer role, so way to go there, WWF creative. The first match is the Legion of Doom versus NWA North American heavyweight champion Jeff Jarrett and Barry Windham, accompanied by Jim Cornette and the Rock and Roll Express. You may recall that these two teams had a match two weeks ago on Raw, where Wyndham hit Animal with Cornette's tennis racket and pinned him for the three count, despite the fact that Animal actually kicked out at two, but whatever, still counts as a win. This actually wasn't a bad match. The finish came when Hawk missed a shoulder-first charge into the corner, hit the ring post, and fell to the floor. Cornette then walloped him with his tennis racket behind the referee's back, and the Rock and Roll Express dropped him knees-first onto the steel stairs. They then rolled him back into the ring, where Jarrett put the figure-four leg lock on him. However, before Hawk could submit, Bradshaw ran out from back stage and into the ring where he then chased Jarrett and the rest of Cornette's stable backstage as Sonny announced that the NWA won the match by disqualification. That's right, we have yet another DQ finish, and if you are at all surprised by that, you are clearly a new listener to this podcast. Bradshaw will be facing Jeff Jarrett at No Way Out of Texas, which makes a lot of sense because he and Jarrett used to be tag partners. No, wait, no, that was him and Wyndham, so why aren't they fighting at the pay-per-view? Savvy booking there. We then cut to footage of DX from earlier tonight, which was not previously shown. As Sean and Hunter are flipping out, China whispers something in both of their ears. She apparently has a plan, so Triple H angrily tells the cameraman to turn the camera off. Is it too much to hope that China's plan is for her to attempt to seduce Stone Cold to get the title back? I really hope that's how this plays out. 
Your next match is Quebecer Pierre, accompanied by Quebecer Jacques, versus Henry O'Godwin, accompanied by Phineas I. Godwin. Apparently this match is happening because the Godwins interfered and caused the Quebecers to lose to Los Barriques was on shotgun Saturday night. Later that night, the Quebecers jumped Henry Godwin, which distracted Phineas Godwin during his match with Savio Vega, enabling Savio to hit Phineas with a spinning heel kick and pick up the victory. Obviously, we're dealing with a pretty important feud here. Once again, I'm forced to point out that the guy we're supposed to root for in this match is wearing a t-shirt with a gigantic Confederate flag logo on it, just so we're clear on that. Pierre actually showed off some pretty good moves in this match for a one-eyed fat guy, including a top rope leg drop, an attempted swanton bomb, and an Undertaker-esque running dive over the top rope to the floor. I guess now we know who the dead man learned that move from, huh? The finish came when Jacques hit Henry with a slop bucket behind the ref's back, but then Phineas chased Jacques into the ring, where the ref told him to leave. While this was going on, Phineas then hit Pierre with a slop bucket of his own, and Henry then pinned him for the three count. These two teams are going to meet this Sunday at No Way Out of Texas, and spoiler alert, they end up wrestling for more than 11 minutes. If that doesn't bump up the buy rate, I don't know what will. Backstage, China interrupts Los Bariquas who are playing a game of dominoes. She speaks Spanish to them, and I just want to point out this is the first time in this podcast where we've actually heard China speak. Savio rubs his thumb and index finger together in the universal symbol of I want money. China says something else in Spanish, then finishes by asking see or no, to which Savio replies in English, you've got a deal. Props to China for being able to negotiate, but I probably wouldn't seek out the jobbingest stable on the roster until I've exhausted every other option first. And all right, yes... I have to do it. Because this segment features China speaking Spanish, I also have to flash back to that time when she was doing Spanish commentary while Triple H was with the regular commentary team, and Jim Ross asked Hunter if he could speak any other languages. You're not bilingual? Huh? You're not bilingual? There's a lot of bi things I am, but lingual is not one of them. Hey, wait a minute. Did I just mean to say that? I don't think you did, but be that as it may, we're live. I'm sorry, but I will never get tired of that clip. Also, side note, it's probably not a coincidence that that moment is literally the only instance I can find of Triple H ever being on commentary. Now we know why. Next match, WWF Light Heavyweight Champion Taka Michinoku and Aguila versus Too Sexy Brian Christopher and Pantera. The match gets off to a really fun start, thanks mostly to the Lucha Libre offenses of Pantera and Aguila. I assume this was the WWF's way of trying to compete with WCW's current influx of high-flying cruiserweights. Eventually, Brian Christopher took control by hitting Aguila with the skull-crushing finale, slash the stroke, slash whatever you want to call it, at which point we went to break. Now, here's where things get interesting. If you're watching this episode on the WWE Network, they completely leave out the remainder of the match. I had to find the rest of it on YouTube to see if this was intentional on their part, as though maybe they initially aired something objectionable that they didn't want to reshow on the network, but no, it looks like the WWE simply just fucked up and didn't include it. So, for you Attitude Era completists out there, the match ended when Christopher pulled a pair of brass knuckles out of his trunks, which Pantera then hid inside of his mask. When Taka attempted to roll up Christopher, Pantera came off the top rope and headbutted Taka with his, uh, loaded mask, I guess. He then pinned Taka to pick up the victory for the team. Now I know you can all die happy, because you know how this match ended. However, I have some bad news to go along with this tale, folks. I'm sorry to have to tell you this, but this marks the final Monday Night Raw match for Pantera. He's actually still an active wrestler to this very day, most recently working a match on February 7, 2016 for IWRG, International Wrestling Revolution Group. Unfortunately, his days of wrestling on Monday Night Raw in the Attitude Era are now officially over. As such, in accordance with a new tradition, we must now send him to Wrestler Heaven.
Crippler no more. Well, there you have it. Rest in peace, Panther Man, who dressed like a zebra. Rest in peace. Next up, the lights go out as Kane and Paul Bear head to the ring. Bear recaps how Vader sprayed Kane with a fire extinguisher last week, and then he says he's tired of hearing Vader say, It's time. Then, in an effort to make this promo as literal as possible, he takes out a clock with Vader's face on it and hands it to Kane, and Kane then magically sets the clock on fire in his hand. Bear then says Vader will be snuffed out this Sunday, and he blows out the fire on the clock, which seems pretty lame, actually. Why set it on fire in the first place if you're not even going to destroy the goddamn thing? Vader, to show you how much we hate you, we're going to mildly singe this clock. Pretty scary, huh? Bearer then ends the segment by saying that if any, quote, leeches of the night think The Undertaker will show up at No Way Out of Texas, they're wrong because he is, quote, gone for eternity. Spoiler alert, this is true and he never shows up on WWF television ever again. Cue up the credits for the second hour of the show and let's scan the crowd one more time. A couple more immature signs including China has a dick, how charming, and someone is also holding a sign which says WWF fears WCW, so I assume that person thought he was going to Nitro, arrived at the arena, and then realized he had made a terrible mistake. Next match is Ken Shamrock and Chains, accompanied by Ahmed Johnson's Skull and 8-Ball, versus Farouk and WWF Intercontinental Champion The Rock, accompanied by Mark Henry, D'Lo Brown, and Kama Mustafa. Huge Rocky Sucks chance as the nation enters. The Rock grabs a mic and reverts back to his recent routine of saying, The world wants to know how The Rock feels about such and such a topic. In this case, human cloning. He says he's in favor of it in certain cases, particularly himself, because he's the only person worthy of it, if you smell what The Rock is cloning. Well, all right, he, d- he didn't actually say that last part, but it would have been nice. Short but solid match here that ended when a brawl broke out on the outside of the ring between the members of the groups who were not in the match, which distracted the referee. Back in the ring, Shamrock had Farouk in the ankle lock, but The Rock snuck in and leveled Shamrock with a sick, unprotected chair shot to the face, allowing Farouk to pin him for the victory. After the match, Shamrock attacks Farouk and another brawl breaks out, which results in the faces clearing out the ring as the nation retreats, which is strange because it's not like The Rock to back down from a challenge. One-on-one, you want The Rock. One-on-one at Backlash. One-on-one with the great one, the biggest match of all time. Well, simply put, in front of you, the millions and the millions, The Rock says this. Nah. In the ensuing aftermath, Shamrock then hits a belly-to-belly suplex on the referee and another one on chains. The announcers played up the angle that the chair shot affected Shamrock, but I'm not sure if they were saying it disoriented him or if he just went into such a fit of rage afterward that he didn't care who he attacked. They zoomed in on Shamrock's face after the match, and you could see there was a welt on the bridge of his nose, so he really did take that chair shot like a man. True story. Ken Shamrock is so macho, you could remove one of his testicles, and he'd still have four left. Medical fact. Next up, we cut to footage of the official WrestleMania 14 press conference in New York City, which took place at the All-Star Cafe, a spinoff of Planet Hollywood. Vince McMahon announced what Mike Tyson's role would be by saying, and I quote, After much deliberation, Mike Tyson will be, in effect, the enforcer. He will be on the outside of the ring in somewhat of a guest referee capacity. Not gonna lie, it didn't sound like Vince's heart was in that announcement. Clearly, he wanted that Tyson-Austin match. Much like a boxing or MMA press conference, Sean and Austin end up getting in each other's faces, which causes Tyson to get in the middle and separate them. We then cut to several TV stations covering the press conference, because Vince McMahon is Jesse Pinkman, and media coverage is his blue-tinted crystal methamphetamine. Can't get enough of it. Backstage, China and Los Bariquas are looking for Steve Austin. China asks Harvey Whippleman, of all people, where Austin is. When he says he doesn't know, she jacks him up against a wall and then throws him through a door. She then goes to enter the men's locker room, and Savio tells her she shouldn't do that, but she walks in anyway. No jokes, please. 
some random jobber says she shouldn't be in there, so she throws him into a locker. She then kicks open the doors of two bathroom stalls, but doesn't find anyone there either, so they leave. Oh sure, China can walk into the men's locker room like it's no big deal, but when I saunter into the women's locker room at the local gym, everyone gets all huffy. Sheesh. Next up, the undefeated Steve Blackman versus Truth Commission member Recon, a.k.a. Bull Buchanan, who was accompanied to the ring by Sniper, a.k.a. No One Important. Believe it or not, this is actually Blackman's first match since I started this podcast. He hasn't wrestled on Raw since defeating Jose Estrada on the December 15th episode of the show, so welcome to the podcast, Stevie. A few seconds into the match, Kurgan's music plays, and we see that the Jackal is lowering himself from the rafters on a podium, which gets placed next to the ring. Somehow, despite the fact that he can clearly be seen reading off a piece of paper in front of him, his promo is still shitty. He actually talks throughout the entire match while Blackman and Recon continue to wrestle, as though a long-haired man with a bindi is not just standing next to them blabbing about the wretched refuse and intellectual intercourse. Eventually, Blackman picked up the submission victory by putting Recon in a move which looked like the regal stretch, kinda, so clearly the Jackoff's words of encouragement did nothing to help out his Truth Commission pal. After the match, the Jackal gets in Recon's face, and he can be heard asking him if he remembers what it was like when he was working for $40 in Memphis and eating tuna fish out of a can. Memphis? But I thought the gimmick was that they were South African. Jackal then calls him a disappointment to his mother, father, and children. Recon says he's sorry, but then Jackal stiffly slaps him across the face. Recon tells him never to do that again, and then Jackal turns his back on him as if to say that he can attack him if he wants. Recon doesn't do it, though, and then both he and Sniper head backstage. The bad news, he didn't clobber that douchebag. The good news, this is a sign that the Truth Commission angle is mercifully getting closer to the finish line, and we can all be thankful for that. After a break, the New Age Outlaws enter from backstage. They stand at the top of the entrance ramp and reminisce about last week when they put Mick Foley and Terry Funk in a dumpster and pushed it off the stage. Amusingly, Road Dog looks off the side and says he thinks he sees a human foot, and then he mistakes a discarded hot dog for another body part. Billy says they had so much fun last week, they should do it again. They then bring another dumpster out from backstage, which Road Dog refers to as a Cactus Jack condominium. They queue up footage on the Titantron from last week's dumpster ride, which Road Dog calls Flight 666. He then narrates the footage as though he was reenacting the audio of the Hindenburg explosion, and okay, I'm just going to go ahead and say it. Road Dog was really funny in this segment. I'll admit, I did laugh. He then says they should reenact the incident out of respect for their fallen comrades, and sure enough, they push this dumpster off the side of the stage as well. They open the lid, and there are two blow-up dolls inside, dressed as Cactus Jack and Chainsaw Charlie. For some reason, Road Dog tells Billy to bring the Chainsaw doll with them back to their room, and he then finishes by saying they will finish off Funk and Foley this Sunday at the pay-per-view. I completely forgot this segment ever happened, but if you want a good laugh sometime, I would recommend you check it out. I don't award MVP of the night like some other podcasts do, but fuck it, Road Dog is my MVP of the night. Backstage, China and Los Bariquas separate to look for Steve Austin. The Bariquas go through a door, but Austin sneaks in behind them with a chain and a padlock. He locks them out and then taunts them by holding the WWF title up in their faces. He leaves and China arrives shortly thereafter to see what has happened, and then she angrily flips over a table. I told you, China, if you want someone to help you outsmart the top star in the company, you probably don't want to enlist the services of Jesus Castillo and Miguel Perez. Next match is the artist formerly known as Goldust, accompanied by Luna Vachon, Mark Marrow, and Sable, versus Headbanger Thrasher, accompanied by Headbanger Mosh. Much like the previous week, Goldust is once again dressed as Marilyn Manson, because this match features one of the Headbangers, and apparently he couldn't think of another heavy metal star who he could impersonate. Before the match, Marrow immediately tells Sable to go backstage, which begs the obvious question, why even bother bringing her out in the first place? 
After a few minutes of uneventful action, Thrasher bounced off the ropes, but Luna tripped him up. This was Sable's cue to return to the ring from backstage and get in Luna's face. Goldust then poked his head through the ropes to yell at Sable, so she slapped him in the face, and Thrasher then rolled him up for the three count. That's right, folks. Headbanger Thrasher owns a pinfall victory over Goldust. Stump your friends with that tidbit. After the match, Luna pushes Sable, so Sable slaps her in the face as well. Meru then holds Luna back as Sable heads backstage. The fact that Sable, of all people, is one of the most over-on-camera talents in the company right now boggles my mind, and I have no idea what else to add, so I'll just give you a clip of her attempting to do some acting in the cinematic classic Corky Romano, where she plays a bouncer at a casino. Whoa. Where do you think you're going? Into the underground casino. I heard uh, you have excellent craps, and I'm in a crappy mood, so... (laughs) We get one final commercial break, and then Degeneration X heads to the ring. Sean begins by talking about the main event for No Way Out of Texas this Sunday, where DX and the Outlaws will team up. Why do I mention this? Because HBK is hyping the fact that he will be wrestling at the pay-per-view, and, well... We'll see if that actually comes to pass. Sean says Austin has something which belongs to him, so he should get his ass out there. Austin comes to the ring and swings the belt at the three of them so they exit. The New Age Outlaws then emerge from backstage and come to ringside, so Austin is surrounded. Austin drops the belt, which China then retrieves once he turns his back. We then hear the sound of a chainsaw coming from somewhere, but we're not sure where. Cactus Jack then emerges through the bottom of the ring thanks to a hole which was cut by Chainsaw Charlie, and Terry Funk then pops out as well. Owen Hart then comes through the audience and enters the ring, so now it's four on four. The Outlaws run into the ring and quickly get dispatched, but DX instead retreats up the ramp. The Outlaws then run away as well, and we get a stare down between the two teams as we go off the air. Call your local cable provider now, because these eight men will square off this Sunday at No Way Out of Texas. Well, maybe not all eight of them, but more on that next week. As for now, let's go to the wrap-up. Yo, I slayed them seeds back in the rec room era. My style broke motherfucking backs like him for terror. A freak beat slamming like Iron Sheik. We dedicated to cast that's been thugging. Vinny Paz got more hoes than Jim Duggan. I'm bananas, out of my fucking mind. They won't let me back in. Cause I was down before the heights like Dusty Rose and Bob Backlund. Bruno San Martino, Stan Stasiak. Now the rockin' Stone Cold on my favorite maniac. The top rooster pluckin'. Chickens when they pluckin'. Cause WWF stands for women where we fuckin'. The ratings recap. Once again, Raw's rating takes another dip, this time putting up only a 3.2 rating, which was down from last week's 3.5. Similarly, Nitro's rating also dropped down from a 4.9 to a 4.6 this week, but obviously that was still more than enough to handily win the night. Here is what you could have been watching on the competition instead of Raw. Steve Mongo McMichael defeated Glacier. Conan defeated Norman Smiley. Disco Inferno defeated Yuji Nagata. Chris Jericho and Eddie Guerrero defeated Chavo Guerrero and Dean Malenko. Side note, this is a match which comes highly recommended by Wrestling Observer Newsletter publisher Dave Meltzer, if that actually means anything to you. Juventud Guerrero defeated El Dandy in a battle of two wrestlers who were the subjects of sound bites I recently played on this podcast. Goldberg defeated Steven Regal. Now, this is actually a pretty important match, which you likely have heard about and or watched at some point. Goldberg was squashing the shit out of basically everyone in about a minute or so at this point, but Regal seemingly worked pretty stiff with him here and put on a very competitive five-minute match. Regal claims that WCW management asked him to do this, but Goldberg has since said that Regal purposefully went out of his way to make him look bad. Regal addressed the issue on Stone Cold Steve Austin's podcast back in 2014, and here's a clip of what he claims to have said to Eric Bischoff after he and Goldberg came through the curtain after the match we come out and my exact words were to eric i said look i can't hit myself that was what i said i said i can't hit myself i said i'm trying my best to get him to do stuff to me and he's not doing anything and he stood there agreeing bill stood there agreeing 
I look over at the agent who give us these. He was going, who told you? Who told you to go that long? And who told you? I look over at the agent who I'm waiting for him to say I did. Yeah. And he just buries his head in the paper and yeah. his papers. And, and I'm that kind of fella. That's just me. I, I probably yeah. saved me a lot of times if I wasn't that way. But that's the way I am. That I've got that. All I've got is my word to me, and that's the way I am. Yeah. And, and I, I just, I'm not gonna. If you don't, not gonna say it yourself. I'm not gonna say it. I'll take it on the chin like I take a lot of things on the chin. What we do know is that Regal wrestles his final match for the company eight days later at a taping for WCW Saturday night, and he is then fired from World Championship Wrestling. Most accounts indicate Regal was shit-canned not because of this match, but rather because he had a severe substance abuse problem, so there's that. Also, spoiler alert, don't get your hopes up that he's just going to appear on Raw next week because he won't debut on WWF television for another four and a half months. Sorry. I wish it were sooner, but alas, it's not. In your remaining matches, Chris Adams beat Louis Spicoli by DQ, Perry Saturn defeated Ultimo Dragon, Booker T and Raven fought to a no contest, Randy Savage beat Hollywood Hogan by DQ, yes, they were still wrestling each other in 1998, and the Steiner brothers defeated the Outsiders to win the WCW World Tag Team titles. The Raw Synopsis Once again, a pretty mixed bag. The match quality was definitely higher than it has been in previous weeks, but all the matches featured guys from either the mid- or lower mid-card. None of the eight men who were in the headlining four-on-four tag match at No Way Out of Texas wrestled on this card, which seems like a questionable decision for the go-home show before the pay-per-view. Also, I am now realizing an unfortunate truth about these pre-taped episodes of Raw. They really don't make as much of an effort as when the shows go live. For some context, the past two episodes of Raw, which aired live, have given us the Tyson-Austin confrontation, DX's classic State of the Union address, and the infamous dumpster incident. Compare that to the last two pre-taped episodes, and the most noteworthy segment we got was... Owen Hart winning the European title by beating Goldust instead of his arch-rival Triple H. Not that great. I would recommend checking out the Outlaws promo, mainly for the amusing mic work of Road Dog and the Cruiserweight tag match, but everything else is pretty skippable. Austin stealing HBK's title could have been noteworthy, but Michaels just gets it back at the end of the show anyway without any physical confrontation with Stone Cold, so you're not missing anything there. Also, in an interesting side note, this Sunday's No Way Out of Texas pay-per-view does not feature any defenses of the four major titles. The WWF title, Intercontinental title, European title, and tag team titles are not up for grabs at all. Instead, only the light heavyweight title and NWA North American Heavyweight Championship are on the line. So as far as I'm concerned, this Raw really needed to go out of its way to draw interest for the pay-per-view, and I would say that it did not. Overall, I'd have to give this one a thumbs down. Next week, I will recap the aforementioned No Way Out of Texas, as well as the next night's episode of Raw. Did the pay-per-view end up being as lackluster as its card would suggest, or was this actually a watchable forgotten gem? Also, who ends up being a surprise entrant in the main event? The answer will probably surprise you. No, seriously, the answer will almost certainly surprise you, because it made no sense. As always, thanks for listening to the Raw Attitude Podcast. I am Henry Hugepex, the suplex-throwing human duplex, and I will remind you once again to feel free to subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher, send us a message at rawattitudepodcast at gmail.com, or tweet us at rawattitudepod. I have nothing further to add about this episode, so I leave you now with a clip from when the Road Dog and Billy Gunn called up their old DX pals when they were in TNA back in 2006, and it was terrible. See you next time. We're declaring war on you, Paul Levesque. Whoa. We're declaring war on you, Michael Hickenbottom. Oh, we know who they're talking about. Being as you brought up Triple Hollywood and Sean Kiss My Bottom, 
You see, eight years ago, they started a group and said that we weren't good enough to be in it. But then again, we bail them out, like always. Now, present day, they bring back that same entity, and it's sinking faster than the Titanic. The reason why? We're good, they are not. the crowd. They're agreeing with them 100% here, Mike. The bottom line is, you two are the biggest 